North Korea once again reiterated it has no interest in resuming dialogue with the U.S. This came out yesterday, uh, which also coincided with the day that the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Stephen Began arrived in Seoul uh, with wide expectations that the visit is focusing on reviving talks with Pyongyang. In the meanwhile, President Moon Jae-in floated the idea of facilitating a new Trump-Kim summit before the November presidential elections in the U.S. Um, Some questions right now whether this is all feasible or not. Uh, We are going to get some analysis as well as maybe a wider uh, analysis look uh, look at the U.S. political scene and what's going on in terms of uh, Trump and his uh, prospects uh, going into November. Very pleased to have joining us once again, investigative journalist at The Nation uh, from Washington, D.C., Tim Shark on the line. Hello. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, U.S. Deputy uh, Secretary of State Stephen Began, basically, though uh, more widely known as the chief uh, U.S. Uh, North Korea envoy. He's in South Korea. He's going to go to Japan later this week. Uh, officially, what they're saying is he's going to be discussing FFVD, which is uh, final fully verified uh, denuclearization. So what do we make of this? Is this any more significant than the countless meetings between him and Lee Dae-hoon in Seoul or in Washington or in any other venues? Or do you think that uh, perhaps uh, there are some signs we should look out for here? Well, if we, go, if we go by what exactly they're saying, and you just mentioned final and fully verified denuclearization, that's kind of a code term for the, the Trump hardline Yeah that's been expressed so far. And uh, so I thought that was a little, you know, disappointing. And it didn't really show much flexibility on on his part. And uh, so I wonder exactly what he's going to bring, because if there's no shift on the Trump administration's uh, opposition to lifting any kind of sanctions until there's full, you know, complete denuclearization, there's just no hope for any kind of, any kind of, you know, intermediate breakthrough or any kind of intermediate deal with, with between the U.S. and North Korea. And uh, it does feel like then North Korea has already publicly laid that marker down, right, with the uh, the, the foreign ministry official, Tresani, uh, coming out and saying they have no intention of meeting the North unless there is something new being brought to the table. So uh, if we're publicly saying FFED or CVID, all these uh, archaic terms that have been kind of used to describe uh, what the, 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 the terms right. of any potential agreement is, is it possible that there's something else going behind the scenes? It doesn't seem so with a a Pompeo-run um, State Department, right? It doesn't seem so to me. And, and you know, Trump certainly hasn't uh, shown much interest or, you know, in, 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 in any kind of uh, uh, moving, any sign that he's mo- moving or shifting his position on this. Uh, and, in fact, you know, I mean, he's hardly mentioned Korea at all in the last few months. So I'm not sure exactly what big, what uh, the purpose of this meeting actually is, unless there is some kind of shift they're able to talk to uh, the Moon, Moon Jae-in's government about. Can you then uh, give us your opinions on President Moon Jae-in uh, saying that uh, it would be it would be great if uh, we could have another uh, Trump Kim. Kim Jong-un summit before the November presidential elections. Obviously, uh, it was uh, made with the uh, knowledge that this would create 
headlines. The question is, is there something going on behind the scenes for him to even uh, voice such uh, optimism that uh, an event like this could even happen? Uh, It does feel like, at least uh, when we talk about November, that's uh, less than uh, five months away, uh, that it's not necessarily logistically even possible. Uh, Do you think there was some kind of wider strategic um, intention behind President Moon saying this publicly? Well, I think he wanted to definitely he wanted to signal to, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un and the North Korean leadership that there is, you know, he wants to get some kind of movement going on these U.S. North Korean talks. So the discussions between North and South can pick up where they where they've left off, you know, months and months ago. Uh, But, you know, does he any does he have any kind of persuasive power? With Trump, that remains to be seen. And I think that, you know, the recent book and, you know, latest public remarks by John Bolton, uh, kind of, you know, I mean, Bolton's pouring cold water on the whole idea of Moon being a mediator between the U.S. and North Korea. Uh, You know, I think reflects not only Bolton's view, but I think it reflects the view of the administration as well as a wider view here in Washington among the so-called North Korea experts mm-hmm. and the various think tanks who, who don't really want to have an agreement that uh, is intermediate, that, that, that just, in their view, simply moves South and North Korea uh, closer to be able to, you know, move forward on their plans announced in 2018 for economic economic cooperation and moving forward on, you know, de-escalating the situation. So I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I, I, from what I hear here in, here in Washington, there's not much chance of a, of a, of a shift. And in fact, I think the U.S. line is still as, as hard as ever in terms of what it wants from, from the North Koreans side. Yeah, and I think you raise a very uh, important point here because uh, for uh, those of us uh, and you to a much greater extent, especially uh, with uh, that uh, so-called North Korea watcher class uh, in Washington, is that uh, for decades now, whether we're talking about from from the Clinton to the uh, W. Bush to the Obama administration, there's been this maybe some subtlety in approach, but there's been a continuity in how they view the North Korea question. And it is something that will likely go back to that so-called status quo uh, if and when uh, Joe Biden wins the presidency in November. So as you very well know, here in Korea, there is uh, a line of thought among progressives Knowing full well that uh, Donald Trump is not a rational state actor and he's not necessarily a a so-called good guy, but he is the one individual that could be, um, let's let's put it harshly, um, could be used as a vessel to maybe facilitate peace with North Korea. Uh, I think what you're saying is um, from the chattering class in Washington right now, that idea, this window of opportunity that uh, progressives feel they have here in Korea, that is dwindling and it is um, getting very, very close to, I guess, a point of no return. I think it is. And I kind of question how much of a window of an opportunity it really is. I mean, I think that, that we've seen with Trump that clearly he wanted these talks to succeed, not to have peace in Korea or, or to protect, you know, U.S. national security, but 
but to boost him, boost right. himself. That's the one part of the book that John Bolton wrote that, that I agree with, that, you know, he just sees everything in terms of him and his power and whether he's going to be reelected in November. And I don't think he really has any commitment to this in any kind of way. And so, yes, it is a big opportunity. Uh, it's uh, unfortunately, it's it's you know, the time is 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 running out. And that's, I think, key to understand. I, I without being naive, is that uh, nobody thinks that uh, Trump is this Pollyannish figure and that he has this desire for world peace, and he, he's looking at North Korea through that lens. It was purely for selfish uh, reasons, perhaps um, uh, at that time, uh, post Singapore, this um, idea that it would boost his political standing and maybe going forward his reelection prospects. Right now, in the U.S. political. Uh, scene. I, I guess you can tell us because you're you're there. It it does feel like, and I think that's typically the sentiment of the American voters is North Korea, or I mean, to be blunt, uh, South Korea for that matter, is very 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 low on the totem pole in terms of uh, voter priority, right? I mean, it, it, whether there's peace with North Korea oh, yeah. will not put food on the table. It's not going to raise minimum wage. It's not going to uh, improve health care benefits. With very few voters are going to be interested in what goes on with the talks with North Korea. Even if he managed to, uh, you know, pull off another meeting, unless there was unless there was a really historic agreement signed, I don't think that would make much difference to any voters. Uh, and the Korea issue is not is not a, is not high in anybody's priority here. Unfortunately, I think that's very sad because you know this this was a great move by. President Moon Jae-in, you know, in 2018 to get talks going and to, and to try to really, you know, get the U.S. to resolve its conflict with North Korea. So there could be an opportunity for, you know, for South and North Korea to, to really start breaking down all this hostility that's existed for so long and ending, moving toward ending the war, ending the Korean War and getting some kind of treaty to finally bring it to a full peace instead of, a, you know, beyond an armistice. And uh, it's just not an issue that, yeah. you know, many liberals are very, you know, uh, are, are, you know, look at this in, in a very cynical way and don't believe that many, many Democrats don't even think that the U.S. should be talking to North Korea or its leaders. Although, you know, the, the candidate Biden has has said he would be open to a meeting, but, you know, under kind of different conditions. So, you know, I, I do think that, it's it's you know Trump is in trouble politically, uh, and this is not the issue that's going to help him. I don't frankly know what's going to help him at this point. <laughs> yeah, so um, there was perhaps. Uh, a period of maybe uh, two to three months where the uh, goal of the progressives here in Korea and, and overall people around the world who wanted peace with North Korea and the uh, selfish political goals of Donald Trump were aligned. And, and there was this sort of kind of weird uh, teamwork going on uh, between the two. Uh, obviously, Trump um, is now uh, in a political situation where uh, whatever he decides to do with North Korea probably will not affect his reelection chances. Can you talk about that a little bit? Again, uh, being based in Washington, D.C. right now, we see that the approval ratings have been mired in the low 40s, but that's been basically his baseline. It did dip uh, for quite a bit. Uh, his 
disapproval numbers are going up and largely uh, attributed to the dissatisfaction with his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. And also, uh, we did show a dip in his approval uh, following his um, racially insensitive, I guess, to put it mildly, uh, comments uh, following the protests uh, over the the racist murder of of George Floyd. Just from a 30,000... foot view. Uh, what is your assessment of Trump's uh, political standing right now? Well, it's really, it's really taken a hit. I mean, not, you know, COVID-19 uh, is, is a disaster. I mean, we have, you know, we have the worst record of any you know, country in the world yeah. right now. More deaths, more cases. And he keeps blaming it on China. But, you know, lots of countries, you know, were affected by this and pitched so much better than the United States, you know, that that curve that everyone talks about has not flattened at all. And you compare South Korea, Japan, you know, Europe, so many countries that the U.S., the U.S. is just the the numbers just keep going up and up and up, you know, and that's a lot of it. A lot of that's due to Trump himself. Trump has just scoffed at the idea that this is really a dangerous thing. And he's And he's not encouraged, you know, his his health authority, anyone to listen to his health authorities. And he, it's just it's just a total disaster. But I also think that people have re- are reacting very strongly to his like he's almost like become the last stand defense of the Confederacy, yeah. you know, Confederate statues. And, 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 and you know, the, the kind of racist attacks he's made on Black Lives Matter and this very big mass movement here. It's just, it's just really, you know, costing him. So he's, he's, you know, creating this little, you know, de- defensive space for himself, defending these statues and trying to sound like his mobs running all over the country, destroying our cities, and you know, it's and all. You know, I, I'm sitting in a democratically run city. Yeah. It's not a state, but it's a city. But it's, you know, there's been lots of demonstrations here, but. It's certainly not chaos by any means. And, you know, voters understand that. Voters can see that for themselves, and they know he's exaggerating. He's really going off the deep end with these attacks, even attacking, you know, a black NASCAR race driver yeah. who had a noose put in his, you know, in, 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 you know, in, in his place of work, and, and it turned out to be you know, maybe not directed at him, and he wants the guy to right. apologize. I mean, right. no one is taking that kind of stuff seriously. Uh, so he, he is in, I think, you know, I really think he is in, in deep trouble for this election. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of trend lines point that way, including uh, some of the polling in these battleground states where he did beat Hillary Clinton in 2016, uh, Michigan, even places like Florida. He's competitive. Um, th- th- I guess they're, they're worried about Iowa, uh, Georgia, uh, Arizona. And so there is a lot of political pressure against him, and the headwinds don't look good. However, there is still, and again, it, I know that uh, there is this solid 35% that will uh, ride with him till they die. Uh, and if he shoots someone on Fifth Avenue, right. it's not going to change their vote. But Uh, Aside from that 35 percent, it does look like uh, there is maybe sort of a shift in in how competent he is as a leader that doesn't do away with the trauma of 2016, where Trump basically pulled off 
an inside straight uh, to to win. Um, He lost the popular vote by a significant margin, but uh, because of this archaic uh, electoral college system that the U.S. has, he was able to win. And so a lot of people still feel it ain't over till it's over, right? Well, I would say that, too. It it ain't over till it's over. Uh, his His numbers really don't look good. Uh, and especially you see in these, in these so-called you know battleground states like Pennsylvania and places like that, where he you know he where he did carry the state, you know Michigan, uh, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult for him, I think, to, to you know to win those states. And it's important to remember that you know with so many people uh, affected by COVID nineteen and dying from it, a lot of Trump voters you know, have been, of course, affected by it, too. A lot of them are rejecting, you know, the government guidelines and wearing masks and ridiculing it and opposing it and fighting it. But, you know, the numbers show that, you know, it's it's so widespread. Of course, those people have been affected. You know, so so his voter, his voting block has been deeply affected by this by this virus. And, you know, so, you know, I think his, his, so that when he, when he goes, when he tries to make it look like it's not as bad as it is, it, that mm. really, I think that hurts him even among his own voters. Yeah, the you happy know, talk. That's, uh, a, yeah. that's sort of a perspective. Yeah, that's a lot, right. It's a perspective a lot of people miss, you know. So, but, you know, it's, very, it's really hard. I mean, it, it's really hard to estimate. A lot of people don't always tell the truth to uh, poll take you know when people are taking polls mm. and they may not want to say what how they're going to vote uh, but you know I, I the way I'm looking at it and from you know from what I read you know the same news reports you read and the in the and the from the polling it doesn't look good for him so you know getting back to Korea I think that um, you know for the for the people on the left and Progressive circles in South Korea who are seeing, who saw Trump as a hope. Right. I think the one hope is that maybe, maybe you know, Biden's value of the South Korean alliance with the United States will, when he, if he, if he is elected and the Democrats take power again, they will take that, you know, Moon Jae-in and the alliance with South Korea more seriously and try to listen to them and and work out a, a way to to deal with North Korea and its nuclear weapons um, you know while working closely with 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 their South Korean ally that may you know that may be a way for a way forward Right. If anything, uh, they won't be as extortionist with the, the ridiculous demands in terms of defense cost sharing and asking for $5 billion up front. Uh, right. The one concern with Biden would be, uh, obviously, uh, he has had decades of experience uh, as a foreign relations committee member uh, in the Senate, considered to be one of the more um, uh, expert foreign policy minds uh, among former senators, and uh, that kind of weighs to the conventional old-time thinking of whether it's Brookings or Heritage, and the idea that this uh, kind of status quo of how to deal with North Korea, and that and that might be hard for him to shift in terms of a, a paradigm. Uh, one thing about Bolton, which you have uh, largely discredited with his comments regarding uh, North Korea in our previous interview, Tim, uh, you did. Uh, there was some interesting excerpts there that uh, if, if, if Trump loses the election, he may decide not to leave or try to obfuscate or try to claim that uh, things are fajas. So we've got about 30 seconds left. Do you think that's possible? I think it's possible if it's a close vote. Like if he loses, you know, so, you know, some states like, you know, Pennsylvania or, 
or, you know, Michigan by just a few votes, and they make a difference in the Electoral College, or, or if he'd gotten those states, he could have won. He may, you know, he's talking all about voting rights, and he's talking all about, you know, absentee ballots now, and trying to talk yeah. people should should not do vote absentee and that kind of thing. He's really afraid of people going out to vote. So I think it's a, it's a slim possibility yeah, you know, if 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 that happens, if if there's some states, you know, where he could have won, that that he would have stayed president. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think if he if he if the electoral if it's a big win for Biden, uh, he's gone. He's going to he's going to go. But uh, you know, it's a possibility. I mean, the guy, the, the man is erratic. Yeah, the, uh, the man the man really does not have the sense of most politicians. And that surely lacks the political skills of, of most politicians. I mean, just judging from the last four years, uh, never rule anything out when it comes to Trump, indeed. Tim Shark from The Nation, thank you so much for joining us once again. Always appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again soon. Sure. Thank you very much.